Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Odds, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to Out of Oz, a Building 28 Church podcast where we discuss the fantasies and fallacies of modern day Christian culture with compassion, conviction, and courage. I'm Danny Van, and with me as always is Pastor Aaron. Pastor Aaron, and we have a um, a hot topic today, Mm. something that uh, generations have been asking, but I've seen a rise and uptick in it recently. And to help us answer this question, we have Mrs. Jenna Hart Schaefer yeah. on the podcast. Hi. And um, she is unveiling a new name for her counseling. She is a counseling mental health therapist, relationship therapist. and um, But that will be in the show notes. So you can look down below, click on that, subscribe to her, follow her, talk to her. She's awesome. Okay. She's awesome. So anyway, she's here to help us today because she used to be a yogi. I think. Yes. Is that what they're called? I used to be a registered yoga teacher. So I had okay. my RYT 200. RYT. I have the RYT 300. <laughs> so I'm not just kidding. Um, so anyway, um, that's what we're talking about today. That is the subject matter. Thanks for being on the podcast, Jenna. Thank you for um, having me. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be fun. So yoga has been a popular form of exercise and relaxation. And from what I understand, I've never done this thing before, but like meditation, spiritual awakening, maybe for many decades in the United States, while some practice yoga purely for the physical benefits, many have been introduced to the spiritual side of yoga and its origins. The practice of yoga and the poses that are done in classes are connected to Eastern religions, I think primarily Hinduism, but Buddhism and Yanism. Um, Because of these origins, many Christians feel as though it is idolatry to participate in yoga, or there might be other connecting issues, while others see it as nothing more than an exercise class. So today we'll unpack the question, at least the tagline is, is yoga demonic? But really, is is yoga problematic for the Christian? Can Christians with a clear conscience practice yoga? Great question. Hey, you know what? It is a great question. I don't know who comes up with these, but... I'm glad you asked. Yeah. Let's, we're let's glad you're here. <laughs> and Danny Van's here, and she's here all season, and we're we're rapidly approaching the midway point of the season, and she's done a fantastic job. So why don't you drop some comments, some love for Danny Van? It's not hard to do wow. down in the comment box. Wow. All right, wow. let's go. Okay, well, Jenna, so maybe explain a little bit what the RYT two hundred means, and just briefly, maybe give us a little background on your experience with yoga, how you got introduced to it, if you still practice it, anything sure. like that. Yeah. Okay. So I went to yoga teacher training probably about 10 years ago now. And at the time I was a baby Christian. So I was really new to my faith, but I also was already working as a licensed therapist. So I definitely knew more about mental health than I did about spiritual health at that point in my life. In my personal life, I had been practicing yoga, uh, joined a yoga studio, and I definitely was experiencing the mental and health and physical health benefits of yoga. So that was really my interest in it, into going to yoga teacher training. So earning your RYT 200 means that you become a registered yoga teacher with 200 hours of training. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to do that 
to incorporate yoga into my work as a therapist. I thought I could combine my work as a therapist with yoga. So that's what I did. Once I earned the certification, I worked at holistic health centers. I worked at correctional facilities. I also worked at gyms. Um, And so that was really my experience with teaching yoga. So around the same time, I am starting to learn more about Christianity. I'm starting to mature in my faith. And particularly when I was reading Romans in chapter 14 about not doing anything that would cause another believer to stumble is really when the thought entered my mind of, should I be teaching or doing yoga as a Christian? And after reading that verse, I did start to feel convicted about teaching yoga. That was because obviously I have no idea that all the people in my class, where they stand spiritually. And I started to worry really that maybe they would go home from yoga class and start Googling something or researching and maybe Mm. slide into an Eastern religion because they were in my class. And so at that point, I stopped teaching yoga. But I did keep doing yoga personally. A lot of us, a lot of Christians who do yoga, we we say things like, you know, God knows my intentions or he knows the posture of my heart. I can engage in yoga practice and keep that separate from my faith. And, and I genuinely meant that as I was saying it. But things really started to change in 2020. So obviously we're in quarantine and I'm practicing yoga at this point still, but not teaching it. And I thought maybe I could use the time in quarantine to earn my certification in something called holy yoga, which we will talk more about. So I started to really deep dive into holy yoga. Are you saying holy? Yes. Yoga. Okay. Holy yoga. Okay. Yes. So H O L I though. No. No. H O L Y. In my three hundred years or uh, three hundred hours of training, <laughs> I never heard of that. Years. So yeah, I just want to clarify for our listeners. Yeah, okay, ho- holy yoga is really like a new, newer, um, I guess, movement or idea. Um, okay. So a woman started, I believe her name is Brooke Boone, and sh- they now have a certification program where you can actually get certified to be a holy yoga teacher. And I actually okay. was introduced to holy yoga at the church I was going to at the time. They actually ho- it was a Christian non-denominational mm. church, and they hosted holy yoga classes, and I had attended some. So I really started doing a deep dive into holy yoga because I wanted to do it. So, I mean, I'm I'm researching, trying to find evidence to support what I wanted to do, and I really didn't find it. In fact, I found just the complete opposite, and that was when I became convicted about doing yoga, even personally, and that mm-hmm. was the end of practicing yoga for me in 2020. Wow. And and that's really why I'm here. I want to say that is I really just want to share information with our listeners who who are Christians so that they can also make an informed decision about whether or not Mm -hmm. they want to continue the practice. Cool. No, I like it. I like it a lot. I don't really have a whole lot to add to that. I'm just I'm just uh, intrigued at this point. Yeah. I'm I'm a our listeners would know I'm like a very free person Uh um, in the Christian faith, and so I have to. Like the way that I always view issues like this is in terms of prohibition, because if there's not a clear prohibition, then I feel like there's a liberty to engage. Mm. Um, and so I want to deep dive into the prohibitions around it, because if there is something there for myself, for our listeners, and for all of us, mm-hmm. I think it's important that we hear it. Yeah. So. For sure. For sure. So, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Danny's just thinking about well, like how she can't do like her yoga stuff anymore so she's in trauma over here yes um i'm heartbroken but so what are the common the common concerns from maybe you or maybe that you've heard or i've heard from christians like what is the concern what is the temptation what's the danger i guess Mm -hmm. 
of a Christian participating in yoga? Is there one? Well, let's really talk about the origins of yoga, I guess. Mm -hmm. Let's just kind of start at the beginning and talk about where it came from and what it looks like now. So yoga is a Sanskrit word. That is the original language. That's where that word comes from. And that word actually means to unite or to yoke with. Mm -hmm. And really what it's talking about is uniting yourself consciousness with the universal or divine consciousness. And this concept of universal consciousness is what's considered Brahman uh, in Hinduism. And I, I actually want to read to you guys what Brahman means. So Brahman is a metaphysical concept of Hinduism referring to the ultimate unchanging reality that is uncreated, eternal, infinite, transcendent, the cause, the foundation, the source, and the goal of all existence. That actually sounds like a really good beginning definition for God. Well, I mean, no, I'm not saying they have a working <laughs> knowledge, but what I'm what we've argued many times is that any worldview you look at, they have a conscious awareness mm -hmm. that there is something like that or someone right. like that. And then they go to faulty sources to try to connect to yes. who that is instead of what that is. But anyway, it does. I as you read it, I was like, it's actually like if you if you read it or or listeners listen back to that, that is a good working understanding biblically of who God would be, but they're off base on who God yeah, would be. Yeah, so, so Brahma is really the highest God sure. that they consider to be the creator of the universe. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, it's also kind of the complete opposite of our God because it, we believe that our God is the creator of the universe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when we look at the definition that we just read, it says that it is uncreated, mm -hmm. that it just always has been and always will be. And again, that doesn't really align with our faith. We believe that there was a creator and that there was a creation and that it also will end, right, when Jesus comes. So the Bhagavad Gita is the religious text of Hindu, and that refers to yoga as a journey to the self, through the self. And so again, it's really talking about going to the self to mm -hmm. look for answers and not going to our one true God or to his word. If we look at the definition of yoga in the English dictionary, it actually says a Hindu spiritual practice. Mm. And that's really what I think sets yoga apart from other things like a workout. A lot of workouts are about the body. Pilates is even a mind and body connection. But when we talk about yoga, it's a mind, body, and spirit connection mm. sure. and soul. Okay, so when we talk about yoga in Western culture, people are really talking about the asanas, which are the postures. Okay, so the asanas are the postures. And the asanas are part of what is called the eight limbs of yoga. So the asanas are the third limb. Those are the postures. And they were designed by a sage. A sage is a mystic teacher named Pantanjuli. And so I think it's important to know that a mystic teacher created these postures. And these mm -hmm. eight limbs of yoga as a whole were designed to really make it like a process to reach that divine union between yeah. self and the universe. So these these eight steps to sort of get there. Hmm. So the asanas are really the third one of these eight, the eighth being samadhi, which is that divine union. And again, we're talking about a union to Brahma, which would be a false god. So one of the things I argue often in conversation is that every every human being is born with an awareness that, okay, call it what you will. Brahma, is that the name? Mm -hmm. I would just call it that morality exists, that there is a higher power, there's a creator. There's a, so when I heard that definition, I'm hearing uncreated. They're saying that Brahma, 
which is this entity mm-hmm. is uncreated. We're saying that God, not creation itself, but God is uncreated one. And then from what I'm hearing you say, I think that yoga was implemented almost as a salvific tool in Hinduism to unite us to, I mean, through the practices mm-hmm. to unite us. So everyone is looking for like some form of salvation. Mm-hmm. Like we're looking for some form of, we know someone's out there. We know something's out there. I mean, you can talk to the most paganistic, atheistic thinker and they still believe at their core in morality that there's, that's higher than just individualized. And so they're looking for some type of salvation. And yoga was founded in a, in a belief that says, here is a path to, they call it unity mm-hmm. or a bonding mm-hmm. with, uh, with Brahma or the, the greater being or power that is. And so it is just in its very simplistic form, a false religion that's, mm-hmm. that's saying to people, hey, this is the path of salvation. And, and it's at least in its origin. Right. Is, that, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. I would say that that's- All right. I'm just trying to, I want to track with it because- yeah, that, that is problematic if you're practicing or teaching yoga in that way. Mm-hmm. Like anything that's like a false gospel, false religion becomes extremely problematic. And some people are certainly following it that way. And some people are certainly teaching it that way from what I understand. So Right. And one of the things when we talk about that samadhi, that eighth limb that happens is like this removal of all desires. Well, included in that would be the desire to know God, right? Mm-hmm. And we know from the Bible that it says God gives us the desires of our heart. Why, why would we want to remove those? Wouldn't that be like, um, I don't know enough, so you'll have to tell me, yeah. Jenna. But wouldn't that be like, like self-contradictory that like the point of yoga is to unite to the one God <laughs> and yet a portion of it is to disconnect from wanting anything? Like, isn't that right. like, that, that falls apart, like, which essentially, once again, all these false religions do. They mm-hmm. start to unravel around us because it's like, okay, we're going to them because we want something. And then they're telling us that the point and purpose will be to be void of any desire or want. Yeah, I really, I think the way that it's really described in yoga is like this element of oneness. So when you really reach that that unity, it's like we are all, you know, we are one with the universe. We are one with creation. We are one with Brahman and Again, in our religion, we can't do that, right? Like God is the most high. Yeah. Like we are not we on are, the same level. Right. Yeah. Right. And so that again, we can say that we're doing yoga to heighten our own spirituality, but where is it actually taking us? Closer mm. to God, to our God, or further away? Yeah. And where I really thought it became problematic, and when I was reading the Bible coming across Ezekiel chapter 9, it says, Then he showed me a room where there were 25 men bowing low to the ground, facing east, worshiping the sun. And it really occurred to me in that moment that that's what I'm doing when I'm taking a sun salutation. And I can say that I'm not thinking about a false god. I'm thinking about my god. But my body is saying other words. My body is taking a, post- a worshiping posture of a false God. Hmm. And the Bible does not go on to say that, but God knew the intentions of their heart and didn't care. It goes on to say, I will deal with them in anger. And so I don't know that we can't say that just because we change our intentions, that it negates the impact. Hmm. And I, I think even as a human being or as a therapist, that's true, right? We can't just say, well, I didn't mean to, I didn't intend to. Well, something still happened, hmm. yeah. right? That's interesting though, because I guess my question is, so I have participated in yoga classes. How dare you? Yes. <laughs> they're, I think they're probably like the most like low grade yoga classes ever because they're the group they ones. They were free. They're the group, <laughs> group ones. They're the group, no, one. they're the group, the group ones at um, Crunch. 
So mm-hmm. not a yoga studio, very much a gym. Uh-huh. I don't really know the ladies' qualifications or anything, right? So I've taken them and I invited one of my Christian friends with me one time and she was like, I just can't go. I have a conviction about that. I just don't feel comfortable doing that. And I was like, oh, really? Like, can you explain to me like why you feel that way? And so she led me to this lady who's talked about it and just explained how like the yoga poses are worship in themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I found that very interesting. I didn't know that the poses themselves were a form of worship. So I guess what I'm, I'm just curious, I guess how that's dangerous and how you said that's the third limb, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are the other limbs? And like, (laughs) is there a way of separating it from the eight? Well, and I think that's what we're really trying to do, at least in the U.S., right, is we're taking this third limb, just the asanas, the postures, and pulling them out. And I think that is the attempt, right, is to just take the postures so that it's not part of this bigger practice of yoga to make it okay for us. But like you said, a lot of the postures, they are what they are. You know, you can't Mm -hmm. slap a a truth on top of a lie and then call it truth. So when you're doing a sun salutation, that is a worshiping posture. And although not all the postures are worshiping postures, many of them are imitating postures. So tree pose, for example, is to look like Vishnu. Uh, Dancer pose is to look like Shiva. So, I mean, at the very best, we're imitating false Mm -hmm. gods, which I don't know is any better. Right. So in my research, I was reading, I wasn't aware of this because I have not gone to crunch for their yoga class, yeah, Danny, mm-hmm. sorry. But um, I was not the Christian friend that Danny invited mm. to yoga. Um, so, yeah. so uh, <laughs> But there are apparently hundreds of Christian yoga practices that have yes. popped up. You're familiar mm-hmm. with these? Mm-hmm. Would that be problematic? Well, let me ask you this. Why would we have a need for something called Christian yoga or holy yoga if we didn't recognize that there was something wrong with doing yoga. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I would answer that by saying that our first episode of this season was should Christians redeem or reject culture? Okay. And so, and I'm a big advocate of all things in culture should be redeemed apart from actual sin. And so I look at, you know, 99% of the practices, like like take Instagram, for example, Mm -hmm. something that, I mean, in many ways has become a worldview for people. It's definitely a religion for a lot of people, Instagram Mm -hmm. or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever, any of these, or, you know, it could be anything, but um, it's easy to go like Halloween. We have these conversations. I know you're supposed to go there at some point because the origins of Halloween or whatever, but it's it's harder to go to like Christmas and talk about the origins of Christmas, which mm-hmm. are like extremely paganistic and extremely problematic. And so there are differing views. And I always want to try to be respectful of those views mm-hmm. where some people say, why even do this? Why even tamper with Christmas when there's so much idolatry around Christmas? There's so much pagan origin around Christmas. Why not just avoid it completely rather than redeem it and use a lot of the, mm-hmm. I'm a big Christmas fan. There's no secret here. Um, and <laughs> so why have a tree in your home when that has such pagan roots, like such like, you know, almost occultic roots to it? Why have mistletoe hanging? Why have, you know, the holly? Why, why play the the carols that are not Christian carols? Like why do these things? And my mentality has always been, and maybe it's a faulty mentality. You're a mental health therapist, so you could probably tell me, Jenna. But my mentality has <laughs> always been, why not if they can be redeemed? And so to me, like 
on the surface, I have not deep dived yoga, mm-hmm. but on the surface to take what is beneficial to the body and the mind mm-hmm. and the soul and could be used to unite us to God in a gospel-centered environment where there's no talk of false gods and we're redeeming all things because God is the author of all truth, not lies, but all truth. And so if something is productive for our body and something is beneficial for our minds, then he is like, I grew up, I grew up where anybody who practiced mental health therapy was like, mm-hmm way out of bounds of Christianity mm. because they were focused on the psyche instead of the soul. And I'm like, so that was kind of my upbringing in the independent Baptist church. And now mm. I've realized there should be a merging of those things. And there should be things taken from, in my opinion, from practices and from people who are not Christian, mm-hmm. but they're speaking truth. And they don't realize that the truth they're speaking is coming from the Lord, like it's his truth. And we take that and we redeem it and we say, no, it's his truth. And we're going to, and that's just applied to so many different things. That's kind of the way in which I approach this. And so when it comes specifically to Christian yoga, I go, I'm not a yogi. I mm-hmm. don't really, hey guys, I'm sorry. I don't really have 300 hours of training. Um, I don't, <laughs> um, but to me, I look at it and I go, oh, like, why couldn't it be mindful that there are still other Christians who are saying, why even like tamper with something? Right. Why even engage with something that has faulty origins and has been used for idolatrous practices for centuries? Why even do that instead of like, I guess my mentality, and maybe maybe both are wrong, maybe both are right, I don't know. But my mentality is more, why not redeem it and pull out for, away from all the idolatrous practices? Because my view theologically has always been that everything that is good and beneficial that is being used for idol worship, like we see in the nation of Israel, was always a twisting of what was ultimately originally good. Mm-hmm. And so when they offered sacrifices in the high places in the Old Testament, they were committing an abomination before the Lord because they were offering to their false gods what was reserved only for the true gods. They had taken true worship and twisted it and couldn't potentially, maybe I'm wrong, but couldn't yoga be something that is, clearly it sounds like they're going, hey, this is the way to be reconciled to God or the universe or mm-hmm. the cosmos or whatever it is. And we're like, they've just taken, they've just taken Christianity and twisted it and gotten it wrong and they borrowed elements. And now we're going to take those back from them, mm-hmm. the elements that are good for the body and good for the mind and redeem them and saturate them in the gospel so that people understand that, that this pose that feels great and like puts me in relaxation or good for my back or whatever I don't right. know, is not, that's not, that's not Hindus. That's God's like revelation to us and they've taken it and twisted it and we're going to take it back and untwist it mm-hmm. and like put it in. I mean, that's kind of how like I, I look at this stuff. And so when I hear Christian yoga and I hear what you said, I can affirm that. And yet at the same time, I have a different slant mm-hmm. and go, why not? I think you were like, why would you? And I'm like, why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. If it can be used for the glory of God and you're not, you're truly not worshiping the sun God or you're not just like Christmas is, it's all based around the sun God, Saturnalia. And I'm like, but I've never worshiped the sun god. And in all of my decor and all of my celebration of Christmas, I've never, ever done that. I've never thought that I'm worshiping Christ who came not really at December 25th, but like came. And so does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, okay. Yeah. Um, let me go to what I was going to say sure, about please, talking yeah. about the origins. Please, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I just, oh, no, no. I, just, I wasn't saying because was you. Vomit. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. No, I you mentioned that we were going to talk about the or- origins yeah, of yeah, Halloween. Yeah, so yeah. I, that my answer for that, I think, is actually going to be my same answer here. So the two things that I Are think, you a Halloween fan? Yeah, like okay, neutral. Right, it's fine, it's fine. I mean, not really. I'm judging. Go ahead. No, no, I, no I'm joking. Well, okay. So I, when I think about Halloween, this is, I think about two things. I think about what Paul says in Corinthians about, I became 
like the to the Jews, I became like the yeah. Jews so that I could save some of them, right? Mm-hmm. So the weak, I became like the weak so that I could save some of them. And the second thing I consider is we do anything short of sin to reach the unbelievers. So it's kind of this yeah. combination of those two things for me. And when I think about Halloween, how can I become like the people who celebrate Halloween, but that falls short of sin? So that's sort of like that balance where I navigate that tension. Yeah. And so for Halloween, that might look like putting on you know, a cute, fun costume. And it's not a sin to change your clothes, right? Yeah. It's not a sin to eat candy or walk around your neighborhood and go trick-or-treating, right? So- In moderation. I'm joking. Sure. I'm not joking, but you know what I mean. But again, we draw that line, right? It has to fall short of sin. So we're not going to go out and be playing with Ouija boards and summoning spirits. And and we've never talked about this before, you and I, I don't think. But like Christians love to like shuffle that line based on their preferences and opinions, (laughs) right? So it's like like a moving target for a lot of people. Like, oh, like what's in moderation mean? Or like, you know, but but yeah, exactly. I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. So, so the question really becomes, and this is the question I just, I'm not claiming to have the answer to, but the one I want our listeners to consider is, can I participate in yoga without sinning? And I think that that's really the question that we're discussing today. And again, I don't have the answer, but is taking a false God worshiping posture, even if you don't feel it in your heart, Mm -hmm. right? A sin. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's kind of, that's the whole topic of today, right? Right. Can we untangle the two really the way we a little bit can with Halloween, like we just talked about, we can participate to an extent. Can we participate even to an extent, the falling short of sin? Like, where does that, where is that with yoga? Um, to me, it is, can we stretch and move our body and breathe? Absolutely. Of course we can. And Hopefully. we can, yeah, I mean, and we can get the physical health and mental health benefits from doing that. You ever been to a charismatic church? That. Yoga's going on on Sunday morning. You really? Know? So, no, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, it is a really good question. And I like to like joke around, but the question at hand is Christians need to avoid sin. Right. Like Paul also says there in 1 Corinthians 6, all things are lawful for me. And we understand that contextually of as long as they're not sin. So anything that's not sinners lawful, but I will not be mastered by any of them. Are they beneficial for me? So he provides these caveats there. So we're not supposed to be addicted to yoga, coffee, any of the things we talked about, you know, (laughs) candy, any Mm -hmm. of these things, right? Mm -hmm. We're not supposed to be addicted to them. So within moderation. And then the other one is, is it beneficial? And is it beneficial for me? And is it beneficial for those that I'm called to like live in life with and community with, which brings up very interesting issues. You, from the very outset, I think like a minute into the podcast today, you said you did not know how it was affecting your other mm-hmm. people in your life. And that's a question we always wrestle with because especially in our line of work, being ministers in different ways, we can offend people by everything we do. Mm-hmm. And so then you have to like start determining, and this is for the listener too, you have to start determining whether it's yoga or celebrating Halloween or Christmas or drinking coffee or going to the gym or watching a certain TV show or whatever it is, or being on social media. Like, where do I have the liberty in my conscience knowing that it might offend, being on Facebook might offend one or two people that I'm on Facebook. You know, it, it might do that. I'm not on Facebook, by the way, it's just an example. But so do I need to live my life with no offense for anyone and teaching, I'm sure, is different than like just practicing. Yes. And so that's something we all have to like wrestle through. And Dan, you brought up a good question of, can I do this? Like, I think some people can't for sure, because I think their conscience, like scripture talks about our conscience individually condemning us. And so certain people can't watch something or practice something or engage in something or go to yoga at all because they're just like, my conscience feels, or can't celebrate Halloween because they would just go, my conscience feels convicted that this for me is wrong. 
I can't do that. And when, when that's you, listener, viewer, then you need to say no to that. Like I can't have a beer even though I know that that Jenna could have a beer. I can't have a beer because of my history with alcohol or because mm-hmm. of the way it makes me feel or because of the dependency I start to experience. And so like to then have alcohol for you, if that's where, where the Holy Spirit's leading you, would be wrong. It would be sinful to do that. And so definitely that distinction needs to be made that for some people yoga would be sin no matter what because you feel convicted in your conscience i can it sounds like that's probably where you land jenna at least of saying it would be wrong for me to like right is that yeah right and it was kind of a journey and that's kind of the journey i just want our listeners to go on is if you don't feel convicted about doing yoga is that just because you're uninformed you know, like if you don't know anything about it, of course, how how right. would you know, yeah. right? So the first question is, am I am I not convicted just because I don't know? And so then the next step, of course, would be to inform yourself. Right. And so once you become informed and you're still not convicted, that's where I really had to get have a real honest conversation with myself because I was informed and not convicted. And what I realized I was doing was really just trying to rationalize it or justify it or make it fit because I knew deep down I really didn't feel right about it, but I liked it and yeah. I wanted to do it. You and I give it up. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the practice just like you did. And I, and I, I saw I liked the way I felt, you know, just peace and I, I appreciated it. So are you trying to rationalize it would yeah. be my next question. Yeah. And then from there, if you are informed, still not convicted and you are not rationalizing it, then okay. You know, the Bible tells us that we will all be convicted about different things. And so that that is okay. But what I would encourage people to do is just know that that can change at any point in time, mm-hmm. especially as you mature in your faith. I think God raises the bar about the things that yeah. you're convicted about. So just be aware of that, that that could change at any time. And if it does, and you do become a convicted about it, then then you do have to stop yeah. doing it. Because Listen once you are spirit. convicted, yeah. Yeah. it is a sin to continue. Sure. And in Romans, it actually even says the, the last verse that if there is even a doubt, yeah. if there's even a doubt, so even if you're wondering or you're not mm. sure, it's still a sin to keep doing it. So if you are going to keep doing it, just be sure about what you're doing. The conscience needs to be like clear. Yeah. Yeah, mm. for sure. Research needs to be done, making sure of what you're doing. Too many of us do things in all realms with very little thought for like what we're actually doing or where that came Mm -hmm. from and how that could be affecting us. Mm. Yeah. And I think what you just said is a really good question to ask yourself too. It's like, okay, if you are in that place, you don't feel convicted about it, you are informed. Are you okay with feeling convicted about it later? And if you're not, maybe you are trying to justify it or maybe it's too important to you. Like, I'm not going to give this up because I don't feel convicted. You know what I mean? Like, are you okay with not participating it if later down the line... God does convict you about it. I think that's an important like self-reflection question. Would you be okay? Mm-hmm. And that applies to all a bunch of other things too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this information has been very helpful to me because I just wanted to go back to what you're saying about um you can't slap a truth label on a lie. And I think that has been that has been like picture has been playing in my head because I guess I always thought you know I'm not worshiping, right? So it's not a sin. But I was kind of thinking, you know, if I were to go to Mecca and participate in like a Muslim ritual, because that's kind of like what it is. You're participating in a ritual. And even if I'm not Muslim, is it still wrong to, you know, do the steps, prepare the things? And I think it is different because there's a way to stretch, you know, that is glorifying to God and not a sin. But that's helpful information to me. Yeah. Another way I would put it is, you know, can we take a Ouija board, call it a Bible board, 
to the point you were talking about of, you know. That's how we teach our kids. <laughs> getting call, call it a Bible board. Say that we're communicating with God. And that happens just because we want it to, mm. you know, just because we say it is and because we believe it to be. That to me is a similar sort of analogy to what we're doing is like, just because we call it something different, just because we have a different intention with it, does that mean it's actually changing? Right. And the question I, I kind of pose, and I just, I just know Pastor Aaron's going to have a good response for this one, <laughs> but I just feel it. But I'll have uh, a response. There's uh, no, there's no knowing if it's going to be good or not. <laughs> but actually in my research for this, it, uh, I was coming across that the most similar English word to the Sanskrit word yoga is actually communion. And so my question is, can someone who doesn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God take communion? Can a person who doesn't believe Jesus is not the Son of God eat bread? Of course, sure. Mm. But can they take communion? I mean, they can and they do every Sunday. Like, should they? I mean, Paul makes it pretty clear in 2 Corinthians 5, they shouldn't. And actually, there's debate on what he means when he says they're drinking and eating damnation to themselves. Like, that's it's a pretty stern uh, word. And so they can, they can participate in it to take something that is that. And that's why I'm saying I'm not as versed when it comes to yoga. And so the Lord's table, the Eucharist is so reserved in specificity to Christianity that it would be extremely difficult on the level of how I understand yoga to be, to take the Lord's, not just to take bread and wine, mm -hmm. but to take the Lord's table and implement it elsewhere in a different context for a different purpose. That would be difficult to do, I would right. imagine. I'm not saying people haven't done that. I'm right. sure they have. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. And so I think it's a legitimate question. I would say the answer is most likely no. I mean, the answer is definitely you're not supposed to. If you're not a believer, you're not supposed to like participate in communion. Mm -hmm. But to even take like the elements and the structure, not just the elements mm -hmm. of like, hey, here are the poses, here's the bread and the wine, but to take the structure of it and say, there's going to be a celebration of the Eucharist, but according to our Mormon beliefs or according to our Buddhist beliefs or according to whatever, it would be difficult to extrapolate that for them. Now, they could take certain elements that are a little more vague and do that. And I have no idea if that's what, once again, you're way more versed on yoga. I have no idea if that's what they're doing. So I think there are, from what I understand, limited knowledge, there would be like very specific elements of yoga that the Christian, if they were going to have liberty to do, would have to get rid of. Like mm -hmm. you cannot engage with the Eastern mysticism that exists there. You can't do that because that would be akin to a non-believer taking the very specified rituals of the Eucharist, you know, but then to take a more broad view of, so communion, it's the Eucharisto uh, in the New Testament does mean to commune with. And sometimes it becomes this ritual, right, of I'm eating the bread and I'm drinking the wine. It's supposed to be a moment of worship. It's supposed to be a moment of deep heartfelt confession and communion with Christ. And when he says in remembrance, and this, I'm sure this connects back to yoga and what they're trying to accomplish. Yes, exactly. But when he says in remembrance, we think, oh, I need to remember him. But he actually, like the, the word carries with it the idea of, let's say Jeffrey's been out of town for a month and he's my, my office boo. Like I love Jeffrey. And so I go into his office and I'm looking around and he's left like a t-shirt on his chair. And I like walk over to his chair and I can smell in that moment, I can smell from his chair and from his t-shirt, his cologne. I'm like, oh man, I miss him. Like, and there's this moment there where you're like, man, this is my friend. Like I, that, that when he says in remembrance, it's more than just like, oh, I remember that Danny, something she did for me. Mm -hmm. It is experiencing a moment there, but Jeffrey's not actually in that place. When, when, when Christ says in remembrance, he's saying, I will come and be in that place with you. Like there is a union. There's a yoga experience, mm -hmm. like this union that takes place. And so 
I think the correlation is there of the, that's what the Eucharist is supposed to do. And it doesn't do it for a lot of Christians. And it certainly doesn't do it for non-Christians when they participate in it on a Sunday morning or whatever. But then I extrapolate it out to, so the way I view art and beauty, we just did an art and beauty podcast and Christians pursuing that is that God gave us art and beauty, much of which has been distorted and twisted and everything. But he gave us this to unify us to himself, not in the same way communion does, certainly not in the same way the gospel does, but all these things were meant to direct our attention back to him and to turn our heart toward him. And so could the physical exercises and even the meditative practices, if they're more gospel-centric meditative practices and submitting to the spirit of God. I mean, for me, I think personally, as I sit here right now in this moment, open to conviction later on and probably will never do yoga in my entire life. But could I do it with a clear conscience? I think I could. Okay. But I don't know if that's the truth for 50% or 90% mm-hmm. of those who are listening and those who are mindlessly kind of practicing these things. And I think the what we've got at is could you do yoga, but it's not the yoga it's not the yoga as it was intended to be. I think we're yeah. all in agreement that you can't do it the way that it's Hinduism, right? It is a religious practice okay. rooted in Hinduism, yes. Right. So it's like, then like Christian yoga comes in and it's like, should they even use that word? Because it's not, yes. it's not truly yoga because the whole point of having Christian yoga is because we don't want you to do true yoga. Exactly. You, I, okay, this is, this is great. We're wrapping feel, it up. Yeah, I feel like you guys really are getting it. And I, and I, I absolutely do. We're your, slow studies. No. But, you know, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. It's so hard. I, I really was so important to me to try to just share the information in a yeah. way that made sense. So y'all's yeah. responses have made me feel like it makes sense. That yeah. you, I feel like you both have information to make a decision. And yes, that is what holy yoga or Christian yoga attempts to do is extrapolate just the postures from this practice. I have a question put, for you. Yeah. And I really mean this. Because Danny said the whole slapping a truth label on a lie. Mm -hmm. Do you think there are any truths to be found in yoga as we historically understand it? Any slivers of truth, elements of truth? The reason I ask that is the philosophical view of going back to Aquinas is that all truth is God's truth. So my contention, perhaps, I don't know, might be, well, it would be that if there is any truth in yoga, even if it's only 10%. If there is any truth in what Freud had to say, Sigmund mm-hmm. Freud, 5% of truth. Like clearly he has some, if, if there is any truth in the Stoic philosophers who I like to read, they clearly communicate truth, but they communicate from a faulty non-Christian worldview. Okay. Um, so I'm looking at it and I'm going with any of these elements or the Enneagram is another one where I'm going, okay, there's clearly truth in it. Like there's psychological truth to be found in this or psychology mm-hmm. or whatever. Even if it's coming from like a bad source, the way I would understand it is that all that truth originated with the creator, with God, with Jehovah, with Christ. And then it was twisted over time. So long before centuries ago, if there is any truth in yoga, and you're going to answer that for us here in a second, Jenna. (laughs) If If there are any slivers of truth in yoga, anything beneficial that could come out of that, were those, I would say those elements were borrowed or stolen from God's initial design. So like, I'm not comparing, I'm not saying it's the truth or the same, but in Genesis and Exodus, you see repeatedly where people bow their faces to the ground mm-hmm. in worship of God, in mm-hmm. worship of the true God. You see where they strike certain pose and they raise their arms and worship to the true God. I'm not comparing those to the same poses of yoga necessarily, but I'm saying, and then what happens is Eastern religions or now Western religions or philosophical mindsets or antichrist psychological positioning or whatever it is, ideologies come along and they, they don't have any, Doug Wilson, one of my favorite pastors always says, they don't have a car of their own. So they like to get in the Christian car and drive it into a tree. Like they like to take what is God's truth mm-hmm. 
and distort it and twist it so that when we look at the origin of yoga, we're like, well, the actual origin potentially of yoga, if there is any truth in it, goes back way before yoga. It's God's design for us to connect with him, ultimately, specifically through his word and through his spirit and by his son and redemption, but also in conjunction with that through meditation and through confession and through creation and through observable beauty and all these and through prayer. relaxation and through prayer and through all these things. And then what happens is uh, some religious leader comes along and takes all of it and goes, I'm going to take some of these elements without the supremacy of Christ or without the sufficiency of the word. I'm going to twist them around. And so I look at it and go, well, well it's not original to them. Like they, these, mm -hmm. any, any truths that are there are not original to them. They're God's truths and people just taking God's truths, what they know works and they've distorted it and twisted it to fit their narrative. And so all that to say, do you think there, I mean, I don't, once again, I haven't done it, but are there any like true like benefits to the soul, to to the body, any truths to be found in yoga and the practice of yoga? I would say that there there are okay. mental health benefits sure. to yoga. Yeah. It, it is proven to relieve stress, reduce anxiety. So there are mental health benefits. There are physical health benefits. It is, of course, good for our bodies. Yeah. But I guess in my opinion, I'm ultimately going to say that it comes at a cost okay. of our spiritual benefit. Okay. Mm. So yeah. call it something else? Or yeah. So it do actually, it in a totally different way? Yeah, yeah. There was actually a woman who tried to kind of start a movement similar to uh, holy yoga. She called it praise moves. And <laughs> I, to me, that that's it. Uh, okay, great. Let's yeah. do praise moves, you know? Christians, um, let's do better. Let's do better, guys. <laughs> well, it, it didn't take off. So, you know, I don't know. But, yeah, I can't um, imagine why. <laughs> the branding was probably terrible, too. <laughs> but in her communication with the Hindu Academy in New Jersey uh, about it, what the email correspondence she received to them was, all yoga is a practice of Hinduism, and everyone needs to be aware of that fact. Sure. And that's what I just want to share yeah. with our listeners today. Cool. Awesome. Well, I think that covers some yeah. bases for us or some poses or however you want to see it. We're kind of out of time on that, but for sure, if you have questions, we can follow up. We can have Jenna. And again, thanks for being here so much. Yeah. Looking forward to, uh, she's going to be on another podcast coming up really soon on mental health. And so stay tuned for that. And um, for now, I guess we'll just see you guys next time. Yep. Thank you both so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Oz is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.